0: Join me in the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, to the end of chapter 2. I'm not going to read all the verses. We read them all last Sunday, but I just want to highlight several. Hebrews chapter chapter 1, excuse me, verse 4. Speaking of Jesus, talking about him, the writer says, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? Answer, none. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Answer, because he's asking as a question, none. He's never said that to an angel. And again, verse six, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Go to verse 13 of chapter 1. He asks another question, and he says, And to which of the angels has God ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Answer None. He's never said that to an angel. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels, that's referencing the Old Testament law, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, chapter 2, verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts by the Spirit, distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, but you've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. If you go down to verse 14 of Hebrews 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Let's talk about the church, followers of Jesus. He himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so they might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to take on himself the judgment we deserve for the sins that we've committed. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I called my mom last night, you could be proud of me, and it's my dad's birthday, so I was calling anyway, but I called and wished him happy birthday and asked if I could talk to mom too, because I needed her to verify a story for me. Because I remember as a kid, her telling me a story about a time when an angel helped her. And was a kid, you're like, That's awesome, right? Maybe as I get older, I get a little bit more skeptical, I don't know, you know, um, of those things. That's not, I don't think that's a good thing. Um, but so I talked to my mom and I said, "Mom, tell me the story again. I just I'm going to share it tomorrow morning, and I just want to make sure I'm telling it right." She said, "Yeah," and she's like, and she starts telling it. She says, "I have goosebumps right now telling you this story." I'm like all right. So she said, "You guys were little, and this is back in my hometown of Mount Vernon, Ohio, which is north of Columbus, and it was cold outside and icy." And she said. I was carrying a bag of groceries up uh, from the car into the house, and there was a step on our front porch to go up, and it was icy. And she said, I was, I was holding this bag of groceries, and I slipped. And there was nothing I was going to be able to do to catch myself. And she said, in that moment, I felt a hand, like a physical hand, on my back. It was gentle, and it just pushed me upright. So I didn't fall. And, so, and she said, I looked around. There was no one else. There was, you know, you kids weren't there. I mean, my dad wasn't there. There was no one else there. But she said it was a, I fe- felt like it was a physical hand, like just pushing me up so I wouldn't, wouldn't fall. And she said, Mark, I, I believe that was an angel. Who else? What? It was an angel. The writer of Hebrews in these 28 verses of chapter 1 and chapter 2 references angels over 10 times. Why? Why why spend so much time focused on angels? Well, I think we need to understand something about a first century Jewish Christian. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it talks about a message declared by angels. That's referencing when God met Moses on the mountain and gave the Old Testament law to his people. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, we won't look at it. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul even verifies and affirms that when God met Moses on the mountain, God was accompanied by hundreds of thousands of angels when he gave the law to his people. Now, why is that important to this letter of Hebrews? I do want you to turn to the Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, because I think we need to understand a situation that was happening in the first century, specifically within the church or among God's people. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Paul is writing to, I believe, a family of house churches similar to Living Church, and he's Instructing them in the gospel and he says this in chapter 2 of Colossians. He says, let no one, verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. So he's addressing that there are people who are insisting that you worship angels. Paul would not address that unless it was an issue. It was a problem taking place. So there's possibility that there were people within the church and outside the church that were encouraging people to worship angels. And if you were a Jewish Christian in the first century, you highly valued the law, the Old Testament law. I mean, you had deep respect for, for the law and that God met Moses on the mountain. And, and so you understand then that there were hundreds of thousands of angels there present. And, and so there, some believe that there was this infatuation with, with angels in the first century leading some to within the, some within the church to even consider and be tempted to transfer their worship from Jesus to the worship of angels. Sam Storms, who is a pastor, author, professor, said this. He says, perhaps this, angels delivering the Old Testament laws to God's people led some to conclude, since the new covenant of Jesus Christ did not come by angelic mediation, they believed then that the old covenant was better, superior, Perhaps even the angels themselves were superior to Jesus, some thought. In any case, the writer of Hebrews believed it absolutely essential to establish the superiority of Jesus to all angels. And this is what he does here in chapter 1, verse 4 through 14, and in much of chapter 2 as well. Now let's be clear about angels. Angels are super cool. They're, they're incredible. They're amazing. They're amazing. Right? The Bible talks to us and reveals to us that angels can fly, angels sing, angels destroy armies, angels can disguise themselves and, and take on human form. I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean that's, I mean, that's amazing. And then there's hundreds of thousands of them. I mean, if you were there, if you were at the base of the mountain and you're seeing God and the thunder and the lightning meet with Moses and you're seeing God accompanied by hundreds of thousands of angels, you'd be like, that's amazing. Who are these people that are with God? These hundreds. I mean, that might lead you to want to learn more. And who are these angels? What do they do? What are they like? And so you compare that with Jesus. And in that culture, well, Jesus, man, he was born in a smelly stable, born to poor parents. His dad just was a regular guy, and went to work every day for years. Jesus came from a normal family, a blended family, half brothers, half sisters. I mean, he just seemed like he lived in Nazareth and nothing really cool or good came out of that town. I mean, you compare Jesus, right? And, and yeah, I know that there were angels, but they appeared to shepherds, right? So it's like, well, I look at Jesus. I'm like, there's not a lot of fanfare around that guy when he was around. I mean, went to a cross, died on a cross, just like, you know, that was a Roman crucifixion. I get it. Kind of an insurrectionist, maybe kind of person. So they thought, but you compare that with the law. Mountain, God, angels, I mean, oh. and if I worship angels, then I'm not going to be thrown in prison and get my head chopped off by the Roman emperor. It just seems safer, right? It, 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 the temptation to maybe worship something that's safer or less confrontational, um, that's maybe more sensational, right, Let, maybe more culturally acceptable than Jesus, that might be a temptation if you were a first century Jewish Christian. And maybe we experience the similar kinds of temptations today. Right? I, don't think, I don't think many of us struggle with the distracting voice of worshiping angels. Maybe some do. I, I wouldn't say many of us here do. But you do struggle with worshiping something other than Jesus. We all do. Everyone in this room worships something. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, what are you worshiping? And is what you're worshiping something or someone other than Jesus? And if so, and if you struggle with that, or you know of someone that's worshiping someone other than Jesus, then what the Hebrews writer is going to tell us today is very important. Because what he's going to lay out for you, what he's going to lay out for us, is that whatever you think or feel or you're tempted to worship other than Jesus, he's going to tell you that Jesus is better. Even if it's like angels, he's going to lay out for you that it's better than Jesus. All right, so insert anyone. Maybe it's not angels. Maybe it's, you know, someone that worships Allah, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, the Mormonism, the Pope, a priest, whatever, whoever it might be, yourself, your feelings, sports, whatever it might be. Whatever you think or feel or you're tempted to worship other than Jesus, the writer's going to unpack for us in these First couple of chapters of Hebrews, why worshiping Jesus is better, why Jesus is worthy of all your worship. And he's going to, I think, equip us to not just for ourselves understand why Jesus is worthy of all our worship, but why you and I should be encouraging others to surrender all of their worship to Jesus as well. And, and that's really the truth for this morning: is, is why is Jesus better than angels? And that's what, what he's going to unpack. And let's just go through these. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. How is Jesus better than angels? He has the family name. Angels don't. Jesus has the family name. Angels don't. Four, verse 4, chapter 1. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What's the name that they're talking about? For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, it's like the writer's trying to help us understand that there's a relationship that Jesus has with God the Father that the angels don't have. They're family. Angels aren't family. They're not part of God's family. Jesus is the son. And he's better by his position of being family, by his position of being son. And he's laying that out at the start. Next, verse six, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Worship who? Jesus, so even God the Father is saying, listen, no, the angel, he's telling the angels, no, you worship Jesus, you worship the Son. Let all God's angels worship the Son, he says. So the writer's using this argument that the one who's receiving worship is actually has a higher position than the ones who are giving worship. So Jesus is the worshiped, the angels are the worshipers, Revelation chapter 19 verses 9 and 10. We won't look at it, but Revelation 19, John, the apostle, sees this vision of an angel. And the angel comes to him. And John's immediate response is to fall down and worship the angel. What's the angel tell him? Don't do that. Don't worship me. You worship God. Don't worship me. So the angels, if they were sitting here, all right, maybe they are. They would tell us, don't worship them. Worship Jesus. Worship the Son. So any religion, anyone that tells you to worship something other than Jesus, no matter how sensational that other thing or other person might be, it's false. It's false. The angels would tell you, listen, don't worship us. Worship the Son. Jesus. Jesus is the worshipped. Angels are the worshippers. Next, he keeps going, verses seven and eight. Of the angels, he says, For he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Throne. He's talking about Jesus having a throne. That means Jesus is a king. And then he calls him God. So Jesus is God. Jesus is king. Angels are not God. Angels are not kings. They serve the king. Again, he's making this contrast. This is why Jesus is better. Jesus is a king, he's the king. Jesus is divine. Angels are not divine. They don't have deity. They're not God. They're not kings. They serve the king. He says, your throne, O God. Angels minister. And the word minister mean, literally means to be servants of a king. Well, how do angels serve King Jesus? Psalm 103, 20, and 21. Psalm 103, 20, and 21. How do angels serve the king? says this bless the lord o you o you his angels you mighty ones who do his word obeying the voice of his word bless the lord all his hosts his ministers who do his will what do angels do how do they serve they do whatever this king wants them to do the king says go do this angels like all right we'll go do it they do his will they obey his word psalm 91 verse 11 Psalm 91, verse 11, how else the angels serve the king? For he, the king, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So these angels, how do they serve the king? They do whatever he wants. And what he asks them to do is to go guard his people, to go protect his people. So how they serve Jesus is by serving Jesus's people. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus is in the, the desert and He's tempted. He gets through that temptation. What does it say at the end of chapter four there in that, in that experience with Jesus being battling Satan in, in, the, in the desert? It says the angels came and ministered to the king. They came and served him and came alongside him. They served him. Matthew 25, verse 31 tells us that when Jesus returns again, because the king's coming back, which is super cool, cannot wait for that moment. The king is coming back and accompanying him, traveling with him are going to be these hundreds of thousands of angels. So they serve the king. Luke 15, verse 10, tells us that when a sinner repents, if someone comes and surrenders their life to Jesus, the angels celebrate in heaven. So they serve the king by celebrating with the king when someone comes to know Christ. I was thinking about it. I'm like, angels are kind of like the Department of Defense. Right? I mean, the commander-in-chief is the president of the United States, and the Department of of Defense, their role is to do whatever the commander-in-chief needs them to do, tells them to do, in order to protect the president and the president's people. They guard, they defend, they protect. That's their role. Angels are like Jesus' department of defense. They do whatever he needs them to do in order to protect him, all right, and and serve him and and his people. And then he goes on. He keeps going. So, So why is Jesus better? Well, he's family. Angels aren't. He's the worshipped. Angels are the worshippers. Jesus is God. Angels aren't. Jesus is king. Angels aren't. They serve the king. What else? Jesus is the creator. Angels are created He says that in verse 10, and I'll just read this from Psalm 148. Psalm 148, it says this, verse two, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. Angels don't exist without Jesus. They are created. Jesus created them. So Jesus is the creator, Scripture tells us. So again, the writer is using this greater to lesser argument. saying Jesus is the creator. They're created. Jesus is superior. He's better. Now our danger is the same danger that we read about in Romans chapter 1. Our danger is to worship the created rather than the creator. That was going on in the first century. So we got the same problems. Same issues. Our danger is especially even within the church, is to worship the created rather than the creator. Good gifts, good things that God has given us, sports, uh, relationships, work, whatever it might be, filling the blank. Our tendency is to, to gravitate toward worshiping those things rather than the one who has given us those things. Now, I grew up watching PBS, all right? And I loved watching The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. He had the coolest hair, all right? I loved it. And some of you are familiar with Bob Ross. I loved Bob Ross. Still love Bob Ross. And that show reruns different things. Well, you'd sit for 30 minutes, and this guy would take a blank canvas, and he would create a happy little tree here, a happy little tree there. And he'd be like, that is insane that that dude can do that in 30 minutes. And I read an article. He did it all for, he never got paid. He just completely volunteered his time. I don't know if that's true or not. Sounds good, so let's go with that. So, you know... I mean, how nice. But, but he creates this beautiful scene, and at the end of 30 minutes, you're like, what? Well, the whole purpose of that painting, right? We could just admire the painting. That's amazing. While the painter's standing right there going, I-, I mean, he's the one who made it. The purpose of the painting is to help us celebrate, is to lead us to celebrate the one who painted it and to be thankful for the one who painted it. But our focus is so much on what has been painted that we often forget to honor and worship the one who's painted it. And who's made it. And the writer says, no, Jesus is the creator. Angels are created. The, an- the purpose of the angels is to lead you back to the one who made them. That a God is so creative and so amazing. They would make these beings called angels that he sends to protect his people and guard them, keep them up and all. The- but the temptation is to look at the angel and worship the created. But let the created lead you to worship the creator. He's better. Next, Jesus is eternal, verses 11 and 12 of Hebrews 1. He talks about how the king is always going to remain. Colossians 1 talks about that. Jesus has always existed and always will existed Because angels are created beings, they have not always existed. And then if you go to verse 13 of Hebrews 1, we read it before. And which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He's talking about a ruler. He's saying Jesus is a ruler, and he unpacks that in verses 5 through 9 of chapter 2. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Verse 8, he's put everything in subjection under his feet. Who's the his? It's Jesus. Jesus is not just the ruler now. He's going to be the ruler of the world to come. Angels are not. He's the one that's been crowned with glory and honor. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, literally tells you that angels are in subjection to Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the ruler over everything. Angels are not. And then in verse 14, he says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Another reason why Jesus is better is because Jesus was sent to save the church. Angels serve the church. Jesus was sent to save the church. Angels serve the church. So if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus sends his angels to guard and watch and protect you and to care for you. Well, how do angels do that? Well, we read one passage earlier in Psalm 91, 11. He sends his angels, commands them to, to guard over you, to watch over you. Luke chapter 16, verse 22, Jesus tells a story of a man who was a follower of his and he passed away and angels escorted that man to Abraham's side. And some believe in that angels. God uses angels to help escort those who are his when they pass from this life into the presence of of Jesus. How else? Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, we see the apostles thrown in prison, and an angel comes and delivers them from that prison. There's a story of a missionary named John Patton who was from Scotland, and and he and his family went to the South Pacific Islands. And in those islands, the natives there were known as cannibals. They eat, cannibals eat people. And so he felt burdened that God was laying on his heart to go to these people because they need Jesus. And then this is a story that he tells and others tell of an experience where they, where God sent angels to protect them. He says this, one night hostile natives surrounded the mission station intent on burning out the patents and killing them. Patton and his wife prayed during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see their attackers leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ. Remembering what had happened, Patton asked the chief what had kept him from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Well, who were all those men with you there? Patton knew no men who were present. But the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. Now our tendency, right, would be like, oh, angels, they're sweet. (laughs) Dude. And they are. But who's the one who sent them? Let's not forget him. Let's not forget him. He was sent to save the church and he sent his angels to serve The church, but they don't come unless he sends. And then another reason in chapter 2, verses 10 through 18 Jesus, the writer's already established that Jesus is God. And so he's already established that Jesus is king. Another reason why Jesus is better is because this king, who is God, got up from his throne and came down into our world, your world took on human skin, human flesh and blood so that he could bleed on a cross and take your place on that cross so that your sins could be forgiven, your relationship with God restored and you you secured a place in heaven forever. Angels can't do that. Angels couldn't do that. Angels didn't do that. Jesus could and he did. He's better. You sit here forgiven Washed clean in a relationship with the God of the universe, claiming the promise of heaven one day, not because of an angel, but because of Jesus Christ. Not because of anyone else or anything else, but because of Jesus Christ. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 2 5, for there is one mediator, one God, and one mediator who can reconcile God with humanity, the man Christ Jesus. No Notice who he says the mediator isn't. It's not an angel, it's not Muhammad, it's not Joseph Smith, it's not the Pope, it's not a priest, it's not you, it's not me, it's not religion, it's not your good works, it's nothing, it's one person and his name is Jesus. That's why he's better. And notice Paul says there's one mediator. It's not multiple ways to heaven. There's one and his name is Jesus. And if anyone is thinking or believing anything different, They're believing a lie. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, Roman says. That's why we got to tell them. And so the writer unpacks this verse beautifully and exposes why Jesus is better. He's got the family name. He's king. He's God. He's the worshipped. He's eternal. He's sent to save the church and sends his angels to serve the church. He's he's God, the son who came and rescued us from sin. I'm going to ask the the band to come as... We prepare our hearts to continue in worship and singing. But the writer reminds us here in the first two chapters that whatever you're tempted to worship other than Jesus, Jesus is better. Do you believe that? I mean, it's easy to say, I do, here when you're sitting in church with other people that would say, yeah, sure. Of course I do. But do you really? Do you really believe that Jesus is better? And if Jesus is better than than even angels, then he is worthy and the only one worthy of all your surrender, of all your worship, of all your obedience. And he's not just worthy of yours. He's worthy of the person you sit next to in that cubicle on Monday. He's worthy of that person's worship who you're going to to give a quote for. He's worthy of their worship. He's worthy of, of that classmate you sit next to. He's worthy of their worship. Because he's better because who he is and so here's the challenge for us this week just to simply ask God to help you believe that he's better because I don't know about you but sometimes on Monday do you struggle with that on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday believing that Jesus is better I do and so just to pray and say God like the man in Mark at night he says Lord I believe help my unbelief just say Jesus help my unbelief help me to believe that you're better And if he's better, then spend time with him this week, worshiping him on your own and with the church. And then if we truly believe he's better and he's the only mediator between God and man, then we need to share that he is better with those who need him. And we've heard of different ways we can do that this morning. But we need to share why he's better with those who are desperate, To know that he is and to experience that he is. My mom, right, tells that story of an angel helping her. And I love that story because it reminds me, you know what? You can go through this week with confidence that you have a king who loves you enough that he will send his angels to guard and protect you. That's how much he loves you. That he would send them and command his angels concerning you to guard, protect you. That's how amazing your king is. That's why he's worthy of all our worship. Because of who he is and what he's done for us on the cross and how he continues to serve and love us and minister to us. What's the spirit of God saying to you this morning? In relationship, not to angels, but in relationship to Jesus. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And he is upholding the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, And Jesus, you have become more superior than angels. For Your name you've inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so we give you our worship this morning, Jesus. We give you our worship and give us that courage through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to share and show this week that you are deserving of not just our worship, you are deserving of everyone's worship.